0: If you have your Bibles this morning, I want to ask you to take them with me and open them to the first book of the Bible, Genesis, uh, and turn with me, if you will, to chapter 39 for our time together here this morning. Now, if you are new to Crosslink, uh, this will might probably throw you off guard, but if you've been to Crosslink before, I want you to know this morning I'm going to preach a little differently than I normally do. Most of the time, when we gather here together on Sundays, and really most any setting when I'm preaching, Uh, We'll take the Bible, we'll open the Bible to a particular chapter, pastor scripture. I will read that and then from that we will look at what are the key points that God is showing us through his word and how do those things apply to our life And, and we'll focus really on one main text. Well this morning we're not going to do that because the text for the message this morning is Genesis chapter 37 all the way through Genesis chapter 50. Now, if you're doing math here this morning, you can quickly count on your fingers and your toes and quickly realize that means in our brief time together this morning, we're going to cover 14 chapters of Scripture, okay? So having said that, I am not going to read verse by verse through these 14 chapters of Scripture. What instead I'm going to do is I'm going to tell you the story of what happened in the life of a man by the name of Joseph. Whether we've realized it or not, the life of Joseph literally, chronologically, perfectly illustrates for us that no matter what we face in life, God is good. That's exactly right. And so as we get through some of these chapters, at different points, I'm going to highlight a group of verses, three to five verses, to help us understand clearly the truth that is being presented. Now, this week, as you've already seen on the video and you've already seen with our VBS worship team... Every night we had a Bible point, a very clear point from Scripture about the goodness of God. And so Miss Heather, our safari guide leader, she would introduce that point. And then after she would introduce that point, our kids would raise their, their arms in the air just like this, and they would shout three words, God is good. All right, so kids, I want you to practice that with me. You've done it all week, our VBS workers as well. On the count of three, can you raise your hand in the air and say God is good? One, two, three. Very good. Now, for those of you who weren't here, maybe you're joining us for the first time here today, the rest of us in all one accord, we're going to do the same thing, God is good, on one, two, three. God is good. Very good. All throughout the message this morning, we're going to look at five points from Joseph's life, and in each place, we're going to learn God is good. And when we get to that point, I want you to put that arm in the air and say it as loud as you can God is good. But now here's a warning if you lose energy throughout the message, we'll do it all over again, okay? So uh, let's join together in the book of Genesis. This morning, I want to preach to you on the subject none other than simply this God is good. Did you know the Bible tells us over and over again that God is good? That means it is an absolute, clear fact of life. David said it this way in Psalm 34, verse 8. He invites us and he says, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. How blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Not only did David say that, but the other psalmist said it in Psalm 100, verse 5. The Bible says, "The Lord is good; His loving kindness is everlasting, and His faithfulness is to all generations." And because God is good, the Bible tells us in Psalm 106, verse 1, this word of instruction. It says, "Praise the Lord; give thanks to the Lord, for He is good, and His loving kindness is everlasting." You know, the truth is this morning is that when life is good it's easy to know that God is good. When life is going as we want it to, and when we've got a roof over our head, and we've got a nice place to sleep, and we've got good food to eat, and we've got nice clothes, and frankly, when we have all the blessings that we have, it's easy for us to accept the fact that God is good. But this morning, I wonder, what happens when life is hard? What happens when things don't go as planned? What happens when everything that could go wrong does? What happens when we're honoring God and we're living for God and we're obeying God and we're doing the things that he wants us to do, and yet it seems like we're facing trial after trial, difficulty after difficulty, circumstance after circumstance in that time? Is it still true? This morning from the life of Joseph... I want us to see and to understand that no matter what we face, no matter what we go through, no matter what we feel, no matter what's going on around us, regardless of what we face and regardless of what we feel, God is still good. The fact that God is good is an absolute truth that does not change because of anything we face or anything we feel. And we see that in the life of this young man by the name of Joseph. Now, this week in our VBS, we've been learning most every night about the Israelites. The Israelites got their name because, frankly, they were descendants of a man that God renamed Israel. Now, his name was not originally Israel. His name was originally Jacob. He just later became known as Israel. Jacob, the Bible tells us, at this point in Scripture, had 11 children, 11 sons at least, and the baby of those 11 was this man by the name of Joseph. Now, the Bible tells us of Joseph that Joseph was the son of Jacob's old age. In fact, Jacob was so old, he did not think he would have another child, and yet, when it seemed like all the people of the day said, you won't have any more children, guess what God did? God said, surprise, here's another. And God blessed him with a baby boy that he named Joseph. Now, because he was the unexpected blessing, if you will, of the family, Jacob deeply loved Joseph. In fact, the Bible tells us in the book of Genesis, chapter 37 and following, that frankly, Jacob even loved Joseph more than his other children. And he gave Joseph this, this, very, fair, uh, this very basically rare treatment. He loved Joseph in such a way that he kind of, he went out of his way to do extra things for Joseph. I know parents, we wouldn't understand anything about that, would we? Like he gave Joseph an easier lifestyle. He made Joseph get all the easy tasks. Whenever his older brothers were out working in the fields, mostly Joseph was able to stay inside and be comfortable along the way. In fact, Jacob loved Joseph so much, he gave him what the Bible calls a coat of many colors. Now, I realize in our day today during the wintertime when we wear a coat, most of us don't wear a coat of many colors, right? It's just a simple coat to keep us warm. But a coat of many colors was a very rare thing in that day. In fact, the phrase that's used for coat of many colors is only used one other time in the entire Old Testament, and it's used to refer to the coat that was given to a king's daughter. In other words, this is a royal robe, if you will. And it was a powerful kind of picture of how well Jacob loved his son, Joseph. So picture the scene Joseph is growing up, well loved well taken care of, he's got all the food he could desire, his family looks after him, he's got this special coat. What could go wrong? Well, apparently, just about everything could, and it did. And yet, at every turn of Joseph's story, we find that God is still good. Five truths from the life of Joseph that I want us to learn, and you've mostly learned them this week. Number one, I want us to understand this. When life is unfair... God is good. In Genesis chapter 37, verses 1 through 24, we learn the story that Joseph is now 17 years old. Man, he's a young man by the culture standards. In fact, he's almost old enough to marry. He's got his whole life ahead of him. It seems like his future is definitely certain. He knows the place that he is going, if you will, in life. And in Genesis 37, the Bible tells us something interesting began to happen in Joseph's life. Joseph, all of a sudden, began to have some very unique, God-given dreams. Now, every single one of us probably knows what it's like to have a dream. I imagine that you have had dreams before, and maybe you're like me, that it seems like most of my dreams mean absolutely nothing, okay? Sometimes our dreams can be crazy and can be all over the place. I remember the first time that I watched the movie Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs. You remember where everything turns to food, basically? I was watching that movie and I thought, I've dreamed this whole thing before. I could have been a genius. I would love a world where everything turned to food. It would just be awesome, right? Sometimes our dreams are crazy and have no connection and mean nothing. But in Joseph's case, Joseph knew that there was something unique about the dream that was given to him. He knew that God was giving him this dream, but he couldn't make sense of what it actually meant. Joseph's first dream, the Bible says, that he was literally, that that there was a, a bundle of sheaves out in the field. Now, a bundle of sheaves for us would probably be better understood as a bundle of wheat or maybe a better illustration, a bundle of hay or something like that. There were 10 other bundles that represented his brother. And all of a sudden in Joseph's dream, his bundle of weed, his bundle of hay, his bundle of sheaves stood tall above the others. And when he stood tall above the others, the other 10 bowed down to his. Can you imagine the sight? So Joseph didn't know what the dream meant. He went back to his brothers and to his family. He began to tell them, I had this dream and, and I had this dream and my, my sheaves that was in the field and it stood tall and all of yours, it all bowed down to mine. Now, remember, these are the same brothers that saw Joseph getting the extra special treatment. These are the same brothers that looked at Joseph's coat of many colors and thought, well, I don't have a coat like that. The Bible says that when Joseph told them his dream, they looked at him and said, who do you think you are? You're so proud and you're, you think you're better than everybody else. Who, who do you think you are to have that kind of dream? We're not going to bow down to you. But the Bible says Joseph's dream didn't stop. In fact, Joseph had a second dream, and in Joseph's second dream, literally the sun, moon, and the stars, as far as his eye could see, these things came down and they bowed down to him. Oh my goodness! So what does he do? He tells the dream again. He tells it to his brothers. He even tells it to his father. And they begin, the Bible says, they begin to rebuke him. You goody two shoes, we'll never bow down to you. Who do you think you are to treat us this way and to look down on us in this way? Even his father began to rebuke him. Finally, the Bible tells us in Genesis chapter 37, verses 12 through 24, one day, Joseph's older brothers were taking the sheep out into the pastures, out into the fields to eat. Now, in biblical times, they took care of animals differently than we do today. If today, if you have animals at your house, uh, uh, like sheep or cows or something like that, uh, I imagine that you probably have a field with a fence, and you've got specific barriers to where you put the animals in and they stay inside. But in biblical times, when they had sheep, they would literally lead them and rotate them from field to field to field to field. And Joseph's brothers were out taking care of the sheep, and they hadn't been home in several days. So Joseph's dad said, Joseph... I don't know how the boys are doing. I don't know how the flock, how the sheep are doing. So I want you to go out there and check on them and bring back word to me to let me know how they're doing. Joseph does what he's supposed to do. He obeys his father. He does his best. He, he likely gets refreshments and snacks and things together. And he goes off to look for his brothers. And he's searching from field to field to field. And finally, up in the distance, Joseph is excited to see, there they are. There are the sheep. There are my brothers. I'm going to bring them these refreshments. And, and I'll learn how they're doing. And I'll bring back word to dad to let him know how things are going. Little did Joseph know that while Joseph was excited to see them, to check on them, They were also excited to see him, but they weren't excited to see him because he was bringing refreshments or because he cared for them and wanted to give a report to the father. They were excited to see him because they knew they were a long way from home. They were out in the field. Nobody else was there and they could do to Joseph whatever they wanted. So these brothers began to look at Joseph and they began to mock him and saying, oh, here comes the dreamer now. We're going to get him now. We're that guy who's dreaming about us bowing to him and who's getting all the fair treatment and he's dad's favorite. Now's the time. We're going to get him. The Bible says Joseph begins to come up to them. He has no idea what's about to happen. The Bible says literally they take him by force. I kind of get the impression, kind of like you might wrestle kids with your sibling or something. They come upon and they pounce on him. And the Bible says they take off his coat of many colors probably began to rip it. I don't know. And as they do, they look and they say, "Hey, look, there's a pit. Let's throw him into the pit. Like an old abandoned well, he'll never get out of that. Let's put him in there and figure out what we're going to do to him next. So the Bible says they took Joseph, and they literally took off that coat of many colors. They stripped him of his garments, and they threw him down into the pit. And I can imagine Joseph's down in that pit. Hey, guys, this isn't right. Hey, guys, this isn't fair. Hey, guys, I'm your brother. I love you. I came to bring you these refreshments. I came to check on you. Guys, what are you doing? The whole time Joseph was in the pit, the Bible says that his brothers were so hard-hearted that they sat there chomping down on their lunch, eating their lunch, ignoring their brothers, pleas. Just eating. They didn't care. They didn't care what they had done to him. They weren't even thinking. They had no remorse at all for what they had done to their baby brother. They're just sitting there eating their lunch thinking, what are we going to do next to my brother? So, Pastor, what are you saying? I'm wondering this morning, have you ever been there? Joseph didn't ask for any of this. He didn't ask to be born as the baby brother in the family. He didn't ask for the the incredible treatment from his father. He didn't ask for the coat of many color. He didn't ask God for the dreams. He didn't even ask to go on the mission to take care of his brothers. He just, this is his lot. This is what his responsibility was. He was simply being obedient. And yet, he was treated unfairly and unjustly. Have you ever been there? Have you ever been in a place where, frankly, you were doing right, you were doing your your best, but someone treated you harshly? Someone mocked you or criticized you. Someone put you down. Someone held you back. Someone mistreated you or blamed you for something that you you didn't even do. Someone seemed to hate you for really no reason at all. Have you ever been there? Well, the good news for Joseph is, is that even when life is unfair, God is good. In this moment, those who should have loved him most and those who should have been looking out for him were the very ones who betrayed him and hurt him and rejected him. But still, God is good. The second truth we find is not only when life is unfair, God is good, but secondly, when life is scary, say it with me, God Even when life is scary, picture the scene for just a moment with Joseph. Here is Joseph sitting in a pit. He no longer has his coat. He no longer really has his garments, and he's uncertain like, What's going to happen? Joseph has no idea what is going to be happening in his life in the next few moments. He has no idea what the future looks like. He's just literally sitting in a pit in this moment, frankly, of desperation. His brothers are sitting there eating lunch. And as they're eating lunch, the Bible tells us that a band or a group of Midianite uh, uh, traders Began to pass their way. They were Ishmaelites as we understand today. They began to pass their way. And suddenly, the brothers knew something. These traders were people who would take goods to Egypt and they would sell the goods and they would get money in exchange. So these people would go back and forth, frankly, between different regions for the purpose of trading and selling to make money. And these boys, these brothers, had an idea. Wait a second. We don't have to leave Joseph in the pit to die. We don't have to even harm him with our own hands. Here's what we can do. Let's sell him to the traders. They'll take him to Egypt and he'll serve as a slave and that'll really show him he'll have a lot of hard work and he's gonna be in desperate situations and he won't be on our hands anymore. Good riddance. So here come the traders. They get Joseph out of the pit. They sold their own brother like a piece of property. Here goes Joseph. Can you imagine the fear that he had? 17 years old, he's now being ripped away from his family. He's now being ripped away from his home. In his mind, he knows, I'm never going to see my father again. I'm never going to see my family again. I'm now going to a new place, to a new land. And he knows as he's being taken into custody by these traders, they're not going to give him his freedom. He literally is going to Egypt to serve as a slave. I imagine this moment Joseph is grasping that every horrible thing that could possibly happen to him would certainly happen to him. ask you a question. When I hear that kind of thing, I sit there and wonder, where is God in all of this? Like, Like, I'm looking at you. Joseph didn't deserve any of this. God, this is so unfair. This isn't right. He, Joseph has just been honoring you and has just been faithful to the responsibility to put before him. Like, God, where are you in all of this? And why aren't you working for him? Why aren't you taking care of him? Why aren't you judging them and taking care of those brothers that have done this wicked evil? God, God where are you in all this? But I want you to turn to Genesis chapter 39 and notice with me something very important. Notice what the Bible says. Remember, even when life is scary, God is good. How do we know that? We see that in Genesis chapter 39. The Bible says in verses 1 through 5, Now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an Egyptian officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the bodyguard, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him down there. But listen to the statement. Where was God? Here's where he was. The Lord was with who? Who? Joseph, so the Lord made him to become a successful man. And he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. Now, even his master saw that the Lord was with him and how the Lord calls all that he did to prosper in his hand. So Joseph found favor in his sight and became his personal servant. And he made him overseer over his house and all that he owned, he put them in his charge. It came about that from time to time, he made him overseer in his house and over all that he owned the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house on account of Joseph. Thus the Lord's blessing was upon all that he owned in the house and in the field. Friend, when life is scary, God is still with us and God is still good. There are many things in life that we can go through, many things that might happen to us or many things that may come against us, frankly, that cause us to feel that emotion of fear. But I want to remind us this morning, no matter what we are afraid of, no matter what the unknowns are, no matter what the uncertainties of the next situation are, I'm telling you, God is good and God can be trusted and you can lean on him as we sang about just a moment ago. I remember when I was a child, I did have several fears. I was never afraid of of, uh, a lot of different things. like I really wasn't afraid of spiders and things like that. But when I was a child, Here's a confession of your pastor this morning. There was one thing that I was terribly afraid of as a young child. It wasn't an uncommon fear. It was a very common fear for children. But for me, for whatever reason, it just seemed to be excessive in that moment. Some might argue that I'm still afraid of it, but I'm not. Just I was when I was a child. When I was a child, I was so afraid of the dark. We lived in a house that had a long hallway And when it was bedtime, when all the lights would be turned off, my imagination would run wild with all sorts of ideas. I had probably seen way too much television at that stage in my life. And man, when the lights would go off, it would get scary. And I remember especially growing up in Alabama, one of the things that are very common in Alabama, especially in the springtime of the year, were tornadoes. And I remember numerous times laying in bed, literally in the dark, and hearing the wind whipping outside and and hearing those sounds. And man, it felt like the whole house was shaking at the foundation. And I remember literally laying in bed, terrified. I cannot tell you how many times my mom would come into the room to talk to me and to comfort me. And after a while, she would always remind me, Matthew, when you're afraid, you need to quote this scripture. Psalm 56, verse 3, says it this way. When I am afraid, Lord, I will put my trust in you. When I'm afraid, I will put my trust in you. I cannot tell you how many times throughout my childhood and really ultimately in other situations in my life as a teenager and as an adult, when I've been reminded when that emotion of fear comes and that emotion of being overwhelmed comes, literally to look to the Lord and say, Lord, when I'm afraid right now, I am choosing to put my trust in you. I'm choosing to believe that you are God and that you are with me and that you are good, that nothing will happen to me outside of your plan. Psalm 56 verse 4, the very next next statement says it this way, in God whose word I praise, in God I have put my trust, I will not be afraid. Friend, When we look to God's word and trust his word and trust his promises that he's with us, there is nothing that we have to fear. Even Jesus himself promised in Hebrews 13, 5 and 6, he is with us always, he will not leave us, he will not forsake us, so we don't have to be afraid what man might do to us. Here's Joseph in that moment. No doubt he had moments and emotions of fear. But even when life is scare, we find that God is good. In Joseph's life, God had Joseph in this process. He was sold into a house of a man by the name of Potiphar who oversaw the king's bodyguard. And Potiphar began to look and realize Joseph may not have felt God's presence, and Joseph may not have seen it so clearly, but Potiphar... An Egyptian who worshipped hundreds, if not thousands of gods, looked at Joseph. He knew he was a Hebrew, and he knew that the God of the Hebrews was greater than all the others. And this God was with Joseph, and he was giving Joseph all kinds of success. So Potiphar said over time, here, I want you to be second in charge of my house. I want you to be in charge of the things in my house and even the things in the field. And the Bible says that God is so good that He works so strongly in and through Joseph that God blessed everything in Potiphar's house and in Potiphar's field on the account of Joseph. When life is scary, God is good. But the third truth we see from the life of Joseph is this when life changes, say it with me, God. Is good. You're losing energy, Harold Hinder Light. When life changes, God is good. Man, I'm I'm looking at Joseph's life and I'm like, finally, finally, like things are looking up for Joseph, right? I mean, it started out so tough and so hard with this unjust treatment. And now he's finally at this position of influence for a brief period of time. When life changes, God is good. Joseph was brought to be in a place of great influence, frankly, of great power, second in charge of Potiphar's house. All was going well. God was blessing Joseph and God was blessing the work in the house and God was blessing the work in the fields and they were experiencing all this fruit and harvest. Everything was great. And suddenly it changed. The Bible says this very interesting nugget about Joseph that Joseph was a very handsome man. And Potiphar lived in this beautiful palace, this mansion with his wife. Now we're not ever even told her name. But somewhere along the way, Potiphar's wife, began to think of things that were completely against God. In fact, somewhere along the way, Potiphar, Potiphar's wife began to think about this and set said, him said within her mind, you know, I know Potiphar is my husband, and I know I should be faithful to him and love him, but Joseph is really handsome over here. So one day, Joseph came to the house to work, and the Bible says that Potiphar's wife began to tempt Joseph. Joseph I know I have a husband, but I'd rather love you and be with you. Joseph, don't you think I'm beautiful? Don't you want to be with me? We can experience this together. The Bible says Joseph rejected it. In fact, the Bible goes on to say in Genesis chapter 39 that day after day, continually, she's bringing this temptation to Joseph. Joseph, I I wanna be with you. I don't wanna be with my husband. Let's do this. My husband's gonna be away on business for a long time. He'll never even know. Joseph, I can even send the servants out of the house. This will just be between us. Nobody will ever know. But in this moment of temptation, Joseph wasn't really focused on her. He wasn't even really focused on his own flesh. What he was focused on was God. Because the Bible says, as she brought this temptation to him and said, I don't want to love my husband, but I want to love you and be with you. The Bible says that Joseph literally looked at her and he said this very, very simple statement. He said, how can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? See, in other words, it doesn't matter what other people see or what other people know. It doesn't matter about your needs. It doesn't matter about my temptation in the moment. It doesn't matter about what your husband thinks. What matters is what does God think? In other words, you could say it this way. Even though others wouldn't see his sin, he knew that God would see the sin, and that made all the difference in how he saw things. So finally, one day, Joseph comes into the house to fulfill his job, to work. And I imagine from the scripture, at least in my imagination, she came up from behind him, probably put her arms around him. Oh, Joseph. I want you to be with me. And the Bible says she she grabbed his coat, like this outward coat, if you will. And what did Joseph do? The Bible says he had such conviction that this is wrong and that this is not right. He had such a conviction about honoring God. The Bible says he ran. I mean, he ran like the wind as fast as he could. He got as far away from the poison that she was as he possibly could. He's running out the doors. He's running out the courtyard. He's getting as far as he can from that temptation. It's interesting to note that in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and in 2 Timothy chapter 2, both times the Bible is talking about the temptation of immorality. The instruction is this, now flee. The idea is now run, make haste as fast as you can from youthful lust and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. So often, I love that statement, with those also who called on the Lord. So often, Satan gets us isolated where we're not in community group and we're not in connection with other believers. We show up kind of sporadically here and there and we get isolated in our own lives. And I'm telling you, it's it's like what we see in all the African videos. What do they do? Those tigers or those lions, they will separate a zebra or they'll separate their prey from the crowd. And then when that prey's in a vulnerable place, they'll grab it. And all we know from that point forward is that animal is soon to be eaten. So often in our own Christian walk, we get isolated from everybody else, and we're doing our own thing, which is exactly where the enemy wants us to be. In this moment, Joseph is alone in the house. He faces, again, this moment of compromise, and he runs. He makes haste to get away from the temptation. Of course, in that moment, as he leaves so quickly, she looks down, and she realizes that she has his coat in her hand. Thank God Joseph lost his coat that day, but he didn't lose his character, did he? She's holding that coat and realizing, I've got some explaining to do. When the servants come into this palace and they see his coat in my hand, they're going to know something's been, been on. And so in this moment, she begins to make up this lie. And so what she does is this. She screams out loud and all the servants come running into the house and she made up this story. Joseph, that Hebrew that my husband brought into the house, he came in to take advantage of me and he came in to hurt me. And, and when I screamed out loud, he left his coat in my hand. Let me ask you a question. Had Joseph done anything wrong? No. Had Joseph sinned against God? No. Was Joseph the one tempting her? No. Can you imagine the story as her husband comes home and she tells him, the Hebrew that you brought into my house, by the way, it's your fault. You did it. This is what he came and did to me. The Bible says he was furious. He was livid. He was angry. And the Bible says that he removed Joseph from his position. He took away his influence and authority. And he took Joseph, even though Joseph had done nothing wrong, and he sent him into the prison. now Joseph... The beloved son from his father's house, the coat of many colors, has literally gone from this wonderful place of blessing to a pit and then to be sold as a possession. And now he is in prison for something he did not even do. Ever been there? ever been in a place where you felt like your freedoms were completely limited? Have you ever felt like you were in a place where you were completely being done wrong for something you didn't do, you didn't have any way out, and it just seems like attack after attack is coming, issue after issue is coming, accusation after accusation is coming, and you're in a place where you don't know what to do? Joseph could have said, why me, Lord? Joseph could have said, but God, this isn't fair. I deserve better. But instead, Joseph just trusted God. By the way, where was God in the midst of all this? Genesis 39, verses 20 through 23. The words will be on the screen. Listen to what the Bible says. So Joseph's master took him and put him into the jail, the place where the king's prisoners were confined, and he was there in the jail. Terrible. Listen to the next statement. But... The Lord was with Joseph and extended kindness to him and gave him favor in the sight of the chief jailer. The chief jailer committed to Joseph's charge all the prisoners who were in the jail so that whatever was done there, he was responsible for it. The chief jailer did not supervise anything under Joseph's charge because, why? The Lord was with him and whatever he did, the Lord made to prosper. It doesn't matter this morning if you're in a place of blessing or if you feel like you're in a pit or if you're in that situation where he felt literally completely strapped like a slave as a possession. It doesn't matter this morning, even if you're in a jail or in a prison, there is no place you can be that God is not already there. There's no place that you can be that he's not going to go with you into that. Even in this moment, God was right there with Joseph. And again, Joseph may not have saw it. He may not have felt it. But God was still working to accomplish his plan and his purpose for Joseph. Fourth thing I want you to see this morning is this. When life is sad, say it with me loud and clear, God is good. Man, I'm reading this and I'm like, oh, Joseph, this is horrible. Like, it can't get any worse. Dude, you are in prison. But sometimes when you think it can't get any worse, you can. And it did for Joseph. Joseph was in prison, and yet again, even the jailer recognized, man, God is with this guy. Like, like the God of Joseph is real and powerful, and he is with him. Everything Joseph is touching, even in the prison, is turning to gold. So the jailer puts him in charge. He's kind of like a team leader, if you will, all right? He's a safari guy for VBS. That's what, I'm kidding. He's a team leader, and, there, and there's like five to eight prisoners likely who are given to his charge, and so he's looking out for them. One day... King Pharaoh, the most powerful man in the entire land of Egypt, gets upset. Apparently, he was difficult to please. I don't know anybody like that in my life, but this guy God was difficult to please. He got so mad that he threw two of his servants, two of his assistants, into prison. They were the butler or the cupbearer and the baker. They go into prison. We don't know what they did wrong, apart from the fact that Pharaoh must not like their cooking. I don't know, but he threw them into prison. And so the Bible says that Joseph is there in prison and one day he's checking on the people that are under his care. He sees the king's butler and he sees the king's baker and he sees that they are very sad. In fact, the Hebrew word that was used meant of heavy heart. And so Joseph asked them, what's going on? Why are you so discouraged? Why are you so defeated? Why are you so sad and so gloomy in your countenance? And they explained, well, Joseph, we've had a dream that we don't understand. This isn't one of those crazy Pastor Matthew Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs dreams. Like, this is a serious dream. We think that God is trying to show us something. Like, there's something that's going to happen in our life, and the dream is showing us that. Can you help us? And Joseph quickly says, well, I can't interpret the dream, but I know God, the true, living, real God of heaven, and he can give the interpretation. And God does just that. He tells Joseph, so so the Bible tells us that the butler begins to tell the dream and he tells the dream to Joseph and Joseph listened and he understands and he looks at the butler and says, this is God's interpretation for your dream. In three days, you're gonna be released from prison. In three days, the king is gonna bring you back into his presence. In three days, you're gonna be restored to your position to have freedom to serve the king. The baker said, oh great, well let me tell you my dream. Joseph looked at him and said, It's not going to be good for you, buddy. you got three more days to live. Guess what happened? Everything happened just like Joseph said. Three days later, the baker's life was ended, and three days later, the butler was restored to his position before the king. So here's what Joseph did right before the butler was released from prison. He said, only do this one thing for me. When you go stand before Pharaoh, please remember me. When you stand before the most powerful man in all the land, put in a good word for me. Remind them, my name is Joseph. I'm of the Hebrews. I don't even deserve, I shouldn't even be in this land. I was unjustly sold as a slave and I served and I was responsible and I did my part and then I was falsely accused and I've now been in this prison for years and I should have never even been here. Please put in a good word for me that I can be released from here. Well, let me ask you a question. What would you do? for someone who went out of their way to help you? What would you do if you were in a hard spot and someone went way out of their way to encourage you and to bless you and to help you like Joseph had helped him? I would think we'd wanna help him, we'd wanna bless him, we'd wanna do everything that we can. But listen to what the Bible says in Genesis chapter 40, verse 23. It says it this way. The chief butler did not... Remember Joseph, but forgot him. I, I'm sitting here thinking in this moment like, what would I do if I felt completely forgotten? How, how would I respond if the people that I had helped and served and blessed had completely rejected me, abandoned me, and ultimately completely Forgot me. What do you do when you feel forgotten? Well, apparently, Joseph kept trusting God and trusting even in this time of loneliness that God was still working because he was. Final point is this of Joseph's life. When life is good, say it with me God is good. You know, if the story ended with Joseph in prison, it would be a most sad and discouraging story, wouldn't it? I mean, it would just be like, man, what's the point of all this? But Joseph's story did not end in prison. In fact, the Bible makes it clear that the butler got out of prison, he was restored to his position, and he continued serving Pharaoh, the most powerful man in all of Egypt, listen, for another two years. For another two years, Joseph was still in the prison day in, day out for something he'd not even committed. The butler's here serving Pharaoh. One day, oddly enough, tell me if you're hearing a pattern here, Pharaoh has a dream. (gasps) Pharaoh has this weird dream where there's like Seven, seven fat cows and they're, and they're huge and they're grazing and everything is wonderful. And then he has a dream that, 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 that there's these skinny cows that come up and they eat the fat cows and then the skinny cows kind of rule the earth and it's desperate and it's terrible and Pharaoh's convinced This dream is a picture of something significant. This is not just one of those crazy Pastor Matthew dreams. Like, this is a real dream. Like, this has a meaning. What does it mean? And so Pharaoh gets all of his magicians and all of his scientists and all of his experts and all of his famous people in his region to come try to interpret this. The butler says, wait a second, king. You know, two years ago, you remember that day you got mad at me and sent me to prison? Yes, I remember that dream that, you know, the food was terrible that day. Well, when I went to prison, I met a Hebrew guy named Joseph. He told me about his God being the true living God of heaven and of earth. And one day I had a dream that I couldn't understand. And so I told it to him and he told me his God was so all-knowing and so wise that he could give the interpretation of the dream. So he interpreted my dream and it happened exactly as he said. Pharaoh's like, Why have you not already told me this? Go get him. The Bible says they go and they get Joseph from the prison. They bring him out, they shave him, they put clean clothes on him, and then they have him stand before the king. And the king asks, can you interpret my dream? And Joseph says, I can't interpret your dream, but the God I know and the God I serve and the God I worship, he can give the interpretation of the dream. Pharaoh tells him the dream. Joseph interprets it and says, The seven fat cows mean that there's going to be seven years of plenty, seven years of abundance. Life is going to be fruitful and wonderful here in the land of Egypt. But those seven skinny cows mean that after those good years, there's going to be a famine that is so severe in the land that the masses of people will die and the years will be so bad they won't even remember the good years that have been. And Pharaoh began to panic and to worry. Oh my goodness, what are we going to do? How are we going to live? How are we going to survive? What about our children? And Joseph said, well, here's what you do. During these years of plenty and these years of good, you need to get everything together. You need to store the grain, build barns, build, build whatever you need. But you need to store the grain. You need to prepare in this wonderful time of fruit for the difficult times so that when the difficult times come, you're able to survive and you're able to eat and you're able to enjoy Listen to what the Bible says in Genesis chapter 41. Notice what happened in verses 38 through 41 of Genesis chapter 41. Watch what happens in just an instant. The Bible says it this way in verse 38. Pharaoh said to his servants in this moment, can we find a man like this in whom is a divine spirit? So Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God has informed you of all this, since there is no one so discerning and wise as you are, you shall be over my house and according to your command, all my people shall pay homage. Only in the throne I will be greater than you. Pharaoh said to Joseph, see, I have set you over all the land of Egypt. He said, pastor, what are you saying? What I'm saying is that every step of the way, Yes, in the difficult times. Yes, in the hardships. Yes, in the dungeon. Yes, in the prison. Yes, even when he was enslaved. Every step of the way, God was working and God was moving ultimately to bring Joseph to this place where he would eventually be raised to the second most influential, powerful person of all of Egypt. But here's the truth of the story. This message is not about... Joseph. It's not. You say, Pastor, wait wait a second. You've been preaching the entire message about this guy named Joseph. What do you mean it's not about Joseph? This story is not about God raising Joseph to a throne. See, See, Joseph would live a full life and he would have many children. In fact, he would name his children significant meanings that would describe God's faithfulness and God's grace But eventually, Joseph would live a full life, and he would eventually die. (gasps) That's right. It happened. Sorry. (laughs) This story is not about God raising Joseph to the throne. This story is about God's desire to bring salvation and deliverance and rescue to his people. See, see, what we don't see in the background of all this is we see all these hardships happening to Joseph, all these difficulties. God, why? Why me? Why is this happening? Where are you? We see all these different things, but what we lose sight of is the fact that God was bringing Joseph to this position for a purpose, and that purpose was to rescue and to save his people, the Israelites. Because in Genesis chapter 42 through 44, we learn that the famine became so severe, literally, that not only were the Egyptians coming to Pharaoh for grain, but all the world, the famine was so bad. All throughout the world, people were coming all the way to Egypt, bringing their money just to buy grain. And one day, lo and behold, a group of 10 men showed up. They showed up, when they showed up to to try to buy food, they explained, our people are starving and our children are starving, our people are hurting. We need grain or else we're going to die. We'll be completely extinct. We we won't be here anymore. We we need food. These 10 guys looked at Joseph. Joseph is dressed like an Egyptian ruler. There's no way they would have ever recognized him, but he recognized them. You know who they were? They were his brothers. (laughs) Let me ask you a question. Here's Joseph in this moment. What do you do when someone who has done you wrong, betrayed you, lied about you, treated you unfairly, put you in dark places that you never thought possible, what do you do when they come Literally, on their hands and knees, begging for mercy and help. What do you do? Oh, in my flesh, I'm like, oh, how the tables have turned, right? Zion the lion, go eat him. you know, like something. <laughs> what does Joseph do? Joseph eventually reveals to them, guys, I'm your brother, Joseph that over 20 years ago you sold as a slave to Egypt. But notice what the Bible says in Genesis chapter 45, and I'm going to close with this, verses 4 through 8. The brothers are weeping and sobbing, literally as they have bowed down to Joseph, begging for mercy and begging for food. Listen to what Joseph says to them. Joseph said to his brothers, please come closer to me. And they came closer and he said, I am your brother Joseph whom you sold into Egypt. Verse 5. Now do not be grieved or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. Listen to this. For God sent me before you to preserve life. For the famine has been in the land these two years and there are still five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvesting. God did this, not you. God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant in the earth and to keep you alive by a great deliverance. Now, therefore, it is not you who sent me here, but who? God. And he has made me a father to Pharaoh and the Lord of all of his household and ruler over all the land of Egypt. In other words, he looks back at all the hardship and all the hurts and all the unfairness and all the injustice. And he says, guys, I know you were trying to do this. I know it was meant for evil in the moment. But I'm telling you, God's been good and God's been with me. And he had a plan and a purpose. He did all this so that you and our family and the Israelites, our people, so that we could be spared. God has been good. But I say to you this morning that the story is not just about Joseph because not only was God saving Joseph's family, but years later through this very group of people, the Israelites, you can go back and read the entire Old Testament if you want to, you'll see times where the Israelites honored God and times where they didn't. Times where they experienced God's judgment and times where they experienced God's grace. Times where they experienced God's blessing and times where they had to experience God's discipline. But all throughout, all the way through the Old Testament, We see God sparing the Israelites time after time, situation after situation. Why? Because it was through the Israelites that God had chosen and promised to send his son, Jesus, to be the Savior of all the world. See, it's easy for us to look at Joseph's life and say, wow, look at what God did to spare his family. How amazing is that? Joseph went through all these hardships so his family could be spared. No, I'm telling you this morning, Joseph went through all these hardships so that God would spare the Israelites. And all throughout the Old Testament, God spared the Israelites because it was through them, God would send his son Jesus to provide a way for you and I to be saved. Joseph lived and in the fullness of life in his right time, he eventually passed away. But Jesus came. Willingly, humbly, and gave his life on the cross for our sins. So that today, any of us who humble ourselves and believe in him, seeking his grace and mercy, we too will experience salvation. A few takeaways from this story of Joseph, and I'll be done. When life is good, God is good, amen. So, how does this apply to my life? A few simple things I want you to consider. Number one, everyone faces trials in life. Every person in the story faced trials, even King Pharaoh. Number two, God is always good and working in the trials, so trust him. You may not see it, you may not feel it, but he is good and he can be trusted. Number three, God is with us in all the trials, so turn everything over to him. Joseph experienced that. He was able to live even in the prison in peace because he had turned it over to God. The final thing I want you to consider is this. Joseph's story is a part of a much bigger story that is still being written today. In fact, every time there's a person who comes to Jesus Christ and recognizes that he's the Savior of the world, that he willingly died on the cross and rose again, every time a person is rescued and saved, we are again reminded that the same God that spared Joseph And spared all of Israel is the same God who can spare and save us only by his grace, only by his mercy, and always by his power. This morning, what does that mean? It means no matter what you face, no matter what you feel this morning, guess what? God is good. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you for this morning. We thank you for the incredible week of VBS that we've had. Thank you for the ways that you are working in our hearts and lives even now. I pray that you be glorified in our response of obedience in Jesus' name. Thank you so much for taking time to listen to this podcast. We encourage you to come and join us right here on our campus. We're located right next to the county fairgrounds here in Harrisonburg, Virginia. If you have any questions about the church, any question about the message, feel free to email us or call us and let us know. And we look forward to seeing you soon. God bless you.